I don't ask anybody's question but yours. Is he in? He is! Dungey with another touchdown run! Because you're an idiot. It's not how tall, it's how long, and Warwick got a piece of that. And really, a disloyal person. And a few other things I could add, but I'll, I'm not going to. Ennis, two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it! He hit it! He hit the shot! Wow, that was an easy one, wasn't it? Syracuse takes down Boston College 84-71. Breaking it down for you here on the Locked On Syracuse podcast, I'm Tyler Rocky. Tim Leonard's going to take this episode off. He's traveling back from BC right now as we speak. So we'll get all of his thoughts on this game tomorrow. And we'll also look a lot at the ACC tournament picture tomorrow. Syracuse with just one game left in its regular season against Miami. That's coming up this weekend. Be sure to check out the show wherever you get your podcasts, and use your smart speaker as well if you're listening on the move within the house at all. So just ask your smart speaker to play the Locked On Syracuse podcast and check out the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. Okay, so 84-71 your final. Syracuse picks up its second double-digit victory over Boston College this season. And as a matter of fact, Hats off to Jim Beheim for this one. Syracuse now with its 50th straight season above 500 basketball, including all 45 under the tutelage of Mr. Jim Beheim. So pretty impressive stuff there as the Orange comes away from this one in dominating fashion. And this game really starts and ends with the performance of Elijah Hughes. I mean, he looked fantastic out there. You heard them talk about it on the ESPN broadcast. If you even listen to the ESPN broadcast, I know the buzz on Twitter was not very positive reviews on that one. But if you were listening, and they said that there were a number of NBA scouts in the building, and this kind of felt like a game where Elijah Hughes really boosted his draft stock. Now, of course... Boston College, not the cream of the crop in the ACC, and certainly not the cream of the crop when they're missing three of their best guys in Nick Popovich and then both of the Hamiltons, all of which combined for about 27 points per game, and some of the best athletes and and a really good interior presence in Popovich, too, that the Eagles were without in this game, which ultimately led to the Oranges' cruise to a victory in this one, but Hughes really did it all. I mean, he went out there, he got his points, as we've seen him do a number of times this year. Of course, the ACC's leader in scoring, but when you go out there and get 28 points, and you do it that easily, I mean, you look at some of the plays that he made, they were tough shots. Some of those back-down fadeaways in the the short post, some just absolutely acrobatic angles that he took as well, he was making tough shots look extremely easy. And you heard Jim Christian at halftime when he was talking with Katie George on the broadcast. And he just kind of was like, listen, there's nothing we could have done to stop Elijah Hughes. He is a scorer, and that's what scorers do. They make those kinds of plays happen. And with all those NBA scouts in the building for that one, you really saw Hughes try to do everything. The way that he controlled that game, whether it was with his handle, he only turned the ball over two times in that game, whether it was with his passing. Now, he only had the one assist, But it was probably the most impressive assist of the night on either side. It was an absolute garbage time at the end of the game. He's coming down the floor. He sees Jesse Edwards as a trailer, big man, running the floor, and he freezes the defense. He uses his ability to freeze the defense and gets Jesse cut into the basket, and he gets fouled, converts the shot as well, and and picks up the end one. So 
really cool stuff that we saw out of Elijah Hughes because he just impacts the game in so many ways. He can rebound the ball well. I've said before, I think he is the best in terms of skill rebounder on this team. He's not going to lead the team in rebounds every single night, but I'm sure there are times when you look in practice and if you do a rebounding drill, Elijah Hughes is probably the best one of the group uh, of pulling down those boards. So I love this Elijah Hughes game. This was everything you could have asked for and more. Just looked so poised out there. He was the man who controlled the offense. And when you look at the, the scoring numbers, I mean, the 28 points is, is unbelievable. And of course, he plays 39 minutes. But his career high is 33, which he set earlier this year. He easily could have had that. But it got to the point in the game where he really just chose not to. He chose to kind of show the world, I can do more than just score the basketball. I mean, this is one of the better, most all-around players Syracuse has had in recent memory in terms of his ability to control the game out there on the floor. It seems like this year, and I'm not saying that he hasn't been a good player in the past because he certainly has, especially last season, but the, the game has slowed down to him to such a, a tremendous extent where whenever he steps out on the floor, he just looks like the most controlled and poised player on the floor at all times. I mean, obviously you're not going to see the same level of competition on the other side when you're playing against Boston College, but for him to go out and just pick apart this BC defense, I mean, you saw some of those fadeaway jumpers. He makes those tough shots look so easy. So, so easy. And it wasn't like he was doing it against a slouch of a competition. I mean, Stephon Mitchell's a good defender. And Mitchell, it eventually created mismatches around Hughes as well. Because if Hughes was drawing the bigger man in in Mitchell, and you already know you're without Nick Popovich, who is one of your tallest players on the team on the other side for Boston College, when you have to draw... As Elijah Hughes, when you're 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and you're drawing a guy like Mitchell who's about 6'9", onto you, and you're taking all that height away from, from guys and you're the three on your team, that does a lot for your offense. I mean, you saw the some of the looks that Dolajai had inside. Uh, um, Barama Sadibe, he was fantastic in the second half in this game and, and just played with a different level of confidence, really, but... Sadibe had six offensive rebounds in this game. I would say three or four are probably the result of Elijah Hughes and the fact that Stephon Mitchell, who was the leading rebounder in that game for Boston College, had to be pulled away from the play because he had to go guard Elijah Hughes. I mean, that is what you saw out of this game for Hughes and the impact he made on the floor, even when he didn't have the basketball. Just the attention that he draws defensively was unbelievable in this game and ultimately the reason why Syracuse won this game it was it was domination start to finish that you saw out of this group and I mean Elijah Hughes just put on for all the scouts at the end of the game a lot of Syracuse fans were probably wondering why has Jim Beheim left Elijah Hughes out there on the floor with a roster of bench guys like Bryson Gooding, like Quincy Garrier, Howard Washington, Jesse Edwards. I mean, why is he out on the floor with those guys? And the reason why is because, I mean, it feels like Bayheim is doing a bit of a service to, to Hughes to let him go out 
and focus on other parts of his game, on the distributing, on the defensive side, on the the rebounding, and just overall running an offense. I mean, that's what you saw out of Elijah Hughes in those final five or so minutes when the game was well out of hand. And he just looked like an absolutely different player out there. I won't say different player, but like you saw why he's an NBA-level player and why some people have talked about his draft stock and some people speak pretty glowingly of him. Now, Matthew Gutierrez wrote a great article on The Athletic, which I, I do want to get into it with Tim at another time. So maybe we'll do that tomorrow or Friday. But is about the draft stock of Elijah Hughes. I mean, the polarity of these scouts on Elijah Hughes is unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> there are some guys who think he is absolutely undraftable. They wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. And then there's other guys who are like, this is, <laughs> this is a guy who's shooting up boards. I love everything about him. So... Uh, we'll get into that later on in the week. But Elijah Hughes, another fantastic performance from him. And he's going to be a big, big part of kind of saving Syracuse's season once they get into ACC play. So we'll talk about the ACC tournament a lot more tomorrow. But for now, Elijah Hughes just once again doing it all for this team. When we come back, there's, there's a three-headed monster on this SU roster. It's Hughes. And then he's trioed with Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard. The other two guys played very different games. And we'll talk about that next. So Boston College set a program record in this game for three-pointers made. They went 19 of 42 from deep. Shot 45%. Unbelievable stuff there. And then from the free throw line, they go 2 of 10 which is absolutely hilarious numbers there. The disparity there where you're doubling up your, your free throw percentage from, from beyond the arc. That's unbelievable stuff. Eagles get 57 of their 71 points from three and 19 of their 25 field goal makes were from distance as well. And Tim and I kind of outlined this going into the game. We thought this would play out very similarly to that pit game that we saw not too long ago with Syracuse and the Panthers. But... When you look at what we said, we said if BC is able to hit from deep and if they can rebound the ball, they will have a chance in this game. And I think we kind of saw how bad of a team Boston College is because they shot the lights out of the ball and they got 13 offensive boards and only lost the the rebounding battle by four. So, And it seemed like at times, I mean, there were possessions where the Eagles were getting two, three offensive rebounds. I mean... If you just watched the game and didn't look at the stats, you would think that Boston College was at least playing neck and neck with Syracuse in the rebounding department, if not playing better at times. So that just kind of shows you how bad this Boston College team is. And especially you're going to be at a hefty, hefty disadvantage when you're missing three of your best players as well. So that that was really, I mean, that was the full display of Boston College right there. Anyway... Speaking of sharpshooting, Buddy Beheim in this game, 3 of 11 from deep, but his other four field goals from two-point range, he goes four for four, ends up with 21 points in this game. And, you know, you kind of look at this box score and like, how does, how does this add up to 21 points? 3 of 11 from deep, 4 of 4 from the field, and 4 of 5 from the free throw line. And off of quick math, you're just thinking, like, how does that, what? Like... 
but it does. It does. I assure you it does. You get the 9 and the 8 plus the 4. That gives you 21. And, and Beheim, he struggled in the early going. He started off really, really poorly, especially from three. Missed his first three. But you kind of saw in this game where at times he would go on these little ruts and he'd go 0 for 3 consecutively at multiple times in this game. And you're thinking, what is going on with Buddy Beheim's shot? And they're talking about it all the time on the broadcast, how he has almost a nearly perfect shot. And I love Buddy Beheim's form. I think he he does have one of the quickest releases on this team as well. And, and his shot form definitely helps him get shots over some guys, especially some of the smaller defenders that he was matched up with throughout the night. And he took advantage of that at times. But So Buddy goes for 21. Joe Girard, very, very quiet night for, for Girard. Six points on one of three from distance. So he did not shoot the ball a lot. Only shot five field goals, made a three, and then was fouled on a three as well. And, of course, in Joe Girard fashion, goes to the line, knocks down all three free throws with ease. You don't even have to worry about that. But he only plays 27 minutes here. He gets the yank pretty early on in that first half, and we see a lot of Howard Washington. And i got to say, the defense from this team looks a lot better with Howard Washington on the floor. And I was texting back and forth with, with Matthew Gutierrez from The Athletic, talking about the defense during this game. And I asked him straight up, does Howard Washington know this 2-3 zone better than anyone else on the floor? Because it certainly looks like it. I mean, you see him out there, you see him pointing and coaching it up, and, and Matthew agreed with me. It looks like Howard Washington knows this defense better than anyone else out there. I mean, he, he just has a full command of it. And honestly, I mean, talk about a guy who, who might be a good fit to be on, on this coaching staff one day. It's Howard Washington. And you look at uh, Matthew Gutierrez did write a, a, an article. It was a superlative article about some of the guys and who they think would be the best coach on this team. And almost everyone said Howard Washington. So definitely a future on a bench for him somewhere down the road, whether it's at Syracuse or somewhere else. But I would love to see Howard Washington as a coach because I think he, I've always been a fan of his ever since his freshman year. It just seems like he's composed, seems like he's mature out there on the floor. I really like his game. He hasn't been given a, a lot of run out there, but I think he could be a, a valuable asset on any team, whether it's a player, a coach, whatever he decides he wants to do, I think he'll be successful as having a career in basketball down the road. But I digress. Anyway, getting back to the point here, Joe Girard was not aggressive in this game. And that was was kind of alarming to me because usually when we see Girard struggling in the points department, so he only had six today, and he had only two assists. And that's usually a number that's bumped up a little bit when you when you contrast his numbers and say, there's an equilibrium in, in Joe Girard, it feels like, where if he's not getting the, the points to go, the assists are. And he's setting up the offense. But that just wasn't the case in this game. And, and Howard Washington gave you some really quality minutes out there on the floor. He, he just controlled the game. The team looked really good defensively while he was out there. And Gerard, I mean, he got yanked early because, I mean, for his defense. And it comes down to the fact that this team has been struggling to defend the three ball lately. I mean, we talked about it. I think it's now six of the last seven games the opponent has shot at least 39 per, or at least 
from three. And, and that's an alarming, alarming thing for this team moving forward because you're going to face some teams, and especially once you get into the ACC tournament, where it's one and done. One and you're out if you're not up to snuff. And if teams do that against you in these quick-hitting tournaments, much like how we talk about the, the, the great equilibrium or the great difference maker in a game that the 2-3 zone provides in, in these quick-hitting tournaments, the same can be said about the three ball. If a team's hot from, from distance, and, and we've heard Jim Beheim talk about it, if you're making shots, you're, you're going to win games. And, and UNC made a lot of shots, and Boston College, frankly, they made a lot of shots. They shot 45% from three, and they shot the ball 42 times from distance. I mean, that's remarkable stuff. And this team just couldn't figure it out defensively. And Gerard's going to have to figure that out. He's going to have to find a way to really put the whole game together because he only played 27 minutes, which is the fewest for him in quite some time. But the the tandem of him and Buddy, it, it's, it's going to be important moving forward. I think we kind of saw in this game, you can do it with two guys. Again, we talk about this three-headed monster that Syracuse has with Hughes, Bayheim, and Gerard. You can do it with two guys against some of the lower-level competition in the ACC. Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Boston College, Pitt. If only two of them are clicking, you're fine. You'll win the game, probably. But if you want to beat a team like Louisville, like Duke, like Florida State, or even Virginia now, the way that they're playing lately, you're going to have to show that all three of those guys can be moving and getting something going at the same time. Because we have not seen much of that. And a lot of this could have been said last year, too. When you think of the three-headed monster of Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard, and then interchangeable with Elijah Hughes, you needed three of those guys going if you wanted to beat really good teams. And when you look at all of that, you got it some nights and you didn't some nights. But when all three of them were going, that Syracuse team was almost impossible to beat. If you can get Hughes, Gerard, and Bayheim all clicking on a night, you stand a chance with anybody in the ACC. And that's what we're going to have to see moving forward out of this Syracuse team as we head into the ACC tournament. If they want to dampen the, this NIT talk right now, because they're going to have to get to the championship game to even be considered and the only guaranteed way of getting in is by securing that auto bid and winning it all. So, again, ACC Tournament Talk will come up on tomorrow's podcast when Tim rejoins me after he gets back from BC. All right, so after the game, Jim Beheim said a bunch of interesting stuff too, and I'm going to get Tim's take on it as well um, on tomorrow's podcast, but... Bayheim Sabermetrics are officially back. The jacket came off, and I want to talk about those numbers and some other fun stuff that I saw in this game as well. That's coming up next on Locked on Syracuse. All right, we're going to be all over the map here in this final segment of Locked on Syracuse. Tim Leonard rejoins me tomorrow, so can't wait for him to get back and, and get everything that he heard from that being in that environment at Conti Forum, or, or the lack thereof of environment there. How about the Syracuse fans out in Boston, huh? I mean, they, I remember last year, 
I was at that game against Boston College, and there was a Buddy Beheim going chant going. I mean, can you imagine being a road player and having your name chanted in an opposing venue? I mean, unbelievable stuff. The Syracuse fans were great out in Boston. Of course, a big alumni base in that Northeast region, so you're always going to get a good turnout in games like that. But let, let's let's get into some of the other stuff that that we saw post game from. From this win against Boston College, against Syracuse, securing its 50th straight above 500 season in this one. Remarkable stuff for this program. So, Jim Beheim, the jacket came off, and how could it not when you're going up against a team that shoots 45% from three, 19 of 42 on the day? When you're getting close to that 23-pointers made ledger, I mean, that's unbelievable. Boston College, a program record for them from distance. Anyway, so the jacket comes off and the people over at Noon's Magician have been tracking this stuff all season long and have really started to crunch the advanced numbers, the stuff we really like to see as fans. From the Jim Beheim Jacket Toss Tracker, the updated statistics. So Syracuse has now moved to 8-1 and one this season when Jim Beheim rips the jacket off and... On top of that, they are now 3-0 all-time against BC in games where the jacket comes off, which has happened quite frequently, now that I think about it, against Boston College. Seems like even though Syracuse wins those games, Bayheim is not always the happiest of campers when he plays against the Eagles. So they actually tied a, a record for this season for their highest plus-minus after the jacket comes off. Syracuse was a plus-7 after the jacket came off in this game. The only loss this year that came against NC State, but they did have a positive plus-minus after the jacket came off. So uh, the team does improve generally when Jim Beheim rips the jacket off. It's only been a negative plus-minus three times this year, and, and in those games, Syracuse is 3-0. and So if it works, it works. Maybe it's something Jim... Has to, has to do a little bit more often th for the remainder of the season. So one thing that Beheim brought up, and I, I'm going to talk about this with Tim, because I just saw this in the press conference. He said that Tyus Battle's father actually called him the other day and was saying that, hmm, yeah, maybe it would have been a little bit better if his son Tyus maybe stayed another year. So actually, he called he called G Mac. He called Jerry McNamara. Not he didn't call Bayheim. He called Jerry McNamara and, and passed that conversation along. So that that's certainly interesting. And you you always wonder what Tyus Battle would have been with this team this season. I mean, he would have been the alpha dog on this team, a senior, a guy who I mean, thinking back on it, if you thought Tyus Battle would have made it to his senior year, I would have called you crazy. I mean, the fact that he even made it. To his junior year, I thought was kind of insane. But this team I definitely, I think, would have been a, a tournament team with Tyus Battle back. Because remember, as great as he was offensively and some of the big shots he hit throughout his time with the Orange, I mean, he was tremendous at the top of that zone as well. And was forcing steals, was perennially one of the better players in the steals department in the conference year in and year out. So... Makes you, you stop and think, but we'll do a full sound check when, when Tim Leonard gets in tomorrow on, on the podcast. So 
Another uh, interesting tidbit that uh, I saw from from Matthew in this game was that Barama Sidibe, and, and I can't believe it because, again, he really exploded in the second half of this game. But Sidibe goes for 9 points, 12 rebounds, just a point away from a double-double. We did say in the prop shop, we set it at 9.5 for his points. He goes under, which is kind of crazy to think. But Sidibe played only 27 minutes in this game, largely got pulled, and, and was given some rest at the end with the result pretty much in hand. But Sidibe looked like a totally different player in that second half. He was so aggressive. I mean, the, in the first half, I was watching him play a little bit, and he seemed very tentative, very passive, didn't look like he wanted to be the aggressor out there on the floor, even though he had a monster size advantage most of the time out there with whoever he was being drawn up against. And then in that second half, I don't know if it was something Beheim told him in the locker room or what, or, or if it's something that, that one of the other assistants told him in the locker room, but... Something clicked because he stepped up big time in that second half and just looked like he wanted to be the aggressor. I mean, he looked like a man on a mission, a man possessed in that second half. There were a couple sequences that I, I really recall. There, there was one where off a miss, he gets an offensive rebound that he, he had zero business getting and almost was being doubled on, on the rebound attempt. But he gets the board, then he puts the ball on the floor and goes up strong and dunks it. Then he did the same thing about one or two possessions later and gets the offensive board and then follows it up with an and one. Unbelievable stuff. The, the transformation we've seen ever since Beheim really lit a fire under him and the rest of the bigs with those comments he made on ESPN Rochester. They He has looked like a totally a player that's just been absolutely reborn. I don't know if he feels healthier or what, but... He's certainly playing with a higher purpose now, especially as he's closing out his junior season. And a lot of criticism had been directed his way in the middle of the year. And hats off to him. He really has delivered these last couple of games and looks like a, a really different player, albeit against some of the lesser competition in the ACC, like Pitt and, and like Boston College. But he was tremendous as well against UNC. And you cannot discount that performance that he put up against Garrison Brooks and against Armando Baycott. So he's actually, and hat tip to, to Matthew Gutierrez for this stat, he's the first Syracuse player with 10 plus rebounds in four straight games in four years. And I don't know what's more impressive for Sidibe. The fact that he has four straight games with 10 plus boards and had a dozen against Boston College, or the fact that he only had three fouls in this game. That, I mean, we always set the the prop shop, Sidibe special foul prop at four and a half because we always think every single game there's a hefty, hefty chance that he fouls out. And hats off to you, Barama Sidibe. Only three fouls. So how about that? Going out there and silencing all the haters. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. Tim Leonard will be back tomorrow. We will get into the ACC tournament breakdown, especially now that Syracuse has moved its way up in the seating after winning on a Tuesday. Of course, there's going to be some games on Wednesday that will sort everything out, and we'll get deeper into the, the look at the ACC tournament now with no Georgia Tech in the picture anymore. So look out for all of that tomorrow. That's coming up on the show. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.